Join us for PR Safari, a podcast by Center for Public Relations. PR Safari, your ultimate guide to navigate the complex PR landscape in Africa. Find us at www.cpr.africa. Hello, my name is Chris Wangalua. Our guest today is Naomi Mutua, former Deputy Managing Partner at Ogilvy PR and currently Lead Brand and Executive Communications at Ideology. My initial training was never in communications, not even PR. I started off in IT management and software management. And through the years, the advent of social media came in and some of us were a bit savvy on social media. The fact that I was constantly on a computer and with the influx of uh, the internet use and all that. In fact, my first job was at a cyber cafe. So I pretty much knew how to handle email addresses, you know, the basics by the time social media channels came around. And yeah, so getting survey with online platforms, you know, back then we had Yahoo Messenger and things like that. Yes. And of course, Facebook then came in. But by the time Facebook had come in, I had progressed into IT and software management. It was just a plug and play sort of. Yes. You know, Facebook came as a connector. Your former networks, friends, former schoolmates and things like that. We created communities in Kenya and interesting things that we loved. We did a lot of community work based on those Facebook groups. In fact, one of the major ones was called Wakamba all over the world. With guys like Ifinokita, Steven Musioka, yes. that's where we met. So we started off that kind of community-based social media activity. And I guess that's what got me noticed by some people at Scanad, and they invited me to join the team. That's no how problem. my career in communications began. When I joined the PR team, essentially it's because we needed to figure out how to communicate online from a PR standpoint. A lot of clients were having a crisis that was sparking online. A lot of them wanted to push conversations online because at that point they had understood the power of social media. So I came in specifically to PR to create that. And that's where we essentially started what is digital PR. Mm -hmm. So thinking through that, you understand that digital PR is the fact that you have new age channels, but you still have a customer who's the customer who they've been, only that they've now accessed different channels. Sort of a shift from, not a shift, but an additional. An additional channel. Yes. So you have to tailor and craft communications that fit to the style that those channels want but also to how the audience conversates on that channel. It tended to be less formal than maybe on a newspaper. It tended to be more dynamic in terms of the kind of video content you can do. You have a lot more space to put your content on because it's endless. And the permission to also, as a brand, be in a position where you you can generate your own news. I think that was the most different thing about it. We didn't have to rely on traditional news channels to create our own news and push it on our platforms. That was the most distinct thing. We are literally talking about content creation. And so maybe you can rope in that element of content creation to digital comms so we can visualize what that means and and how best can each one of us be good at. You know, with content, the three things we generally look at are whether it's entertaining, informative, or educative. Yes. If you can hit one and, if possible, all three spots, you're in a very good place. So first, you really have to think about the content that you're creating. Do people want to hear or see it? I mean, do they actually just want it in the first place? If you crack that, you're in a good space. Then you tell light in the tone and voice that they want. Is it comedic? Is it formal? Is it in between the two? 
you have to find your voice, even as a brand, you have to find your voice. And you'll realize that most brands, there are moments when you have to be formal. For example, if you have to put out a statement on a serious issue, but in everyday content creation, everyday communication with your customers and such, you, you see some brands loosening up. And we've seen a lot of brands here bantering with, with each other, with the customers, you know, chipping in on, on pop culture, chipping in on topics of the day. So just finding a way to navigate and be connected to the audience. So if you can crack what content you want to present, you crack your tone of voice, then you decide what platform do I put this in. And you'll find that a lot of content is tailored based on what is popular. Right now, TikTok is popular. We've seen Instagram Reels even adapting to what TikTok is doing. Yes. And even Facebook brought stories based on WhatsApp stories. Yes, exactly. Yes. So thinking through that and adapting your content then to what platform you're using that just helps you decide the style maybe of how to shoot it or how to edit it. Why would somebody have some 20 likes or, you know, the eyeballs are just too low? Mm-hmm. What would be the problem with whatever it is they're doing? Sometimes it's not just a problem. It's not necessarily a problem with the creator. It's a circumstance or a number of events happening. So one, there's fight for share of voice. Everybody is creating content. Brands and newsrooms no longer hold the big seats when it comes to being the creators. They may have the skills and know-how. They may have the machinery. But there's a lot more people over here creating content and they're being stars at it. So one share of voice is so splitted, so fragmented, you can no longer rely on what used to be there. And even within the what we would call the big boys, for example, the media houses, even they are so fragmented So that share of voice has really been cut down. You're fighting for the attention span of everyone. There was a saying that was going that the attention span of a goldfish is seven seconds and that of a human is six. So imagine (laughs) what you're fighting for. Okay. That's why you have YouTube ads tailored to five seconds. If you can't pass a message to me in five seconds, why am I here? So how you do that is very important. Then you have to find people who are actually good at the creation. Yeah. You might have one person who's a superstar on TikTok videos, but they actually can't edit a full-length 30-minute video. Yes. So one is just good at short, snappy content. The other one is good at long-form, maybe documentaries. You find that as the workforce gets younger, mm-hmm. because the younger generation has been born into a very digital age, these are normal things for them to do. Yeah. Asking me to do a well-cut TikTok video, honestly, is a task. Tell me to write a piece for you, I'll do it effortlessly. Yeah. Because that's what I was trained to do and that's what I grew into. But a youngster has been born knowing TikTok exists. They do it so effortlessly. It's a very natural skill for them. And even how they see things out there, how they visualize things, they can see what would make a great piece of content or that can be used later on. They'll just film it and pack it for later. Mm -hmm. But they know where it's going to go. So some of these things are becoming a natural ability. Others have to be learned. But what matters is that you keep creating and keep pushing. Your skills always get better with time. They say you need 10,000 hours to be an expert. Let's tie that to influencers, mm-hmm. organizations like working with influencers to be able to push whatever cost they want to push. Will that be sustainable in terms of budgets? If you look back at what influencers were before, influencers were the top people in society. They're the thought leaders, yes. opinion shapers. Opinion shapers, trusted leaders and professionals to some level. So a teacher, a pastor, a government official, someone who had some office or some sway. 
was the influencer and when they spoke it was heard at home that tended to be the head of the household whether it was a mom or dad then you move to the next rank in school it's a teacher in society it's a pastor or 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 someone else you know so those are the shapers then you come to the current situation and the fact that we have channels that we can put our voices on as individuals has made a difference what it is is basically it's word of mouth but there are some people who speak and tend to be heard better one because they've been creating content that is worth engaging with but secondly they've earned that trust because anyone could create content but have you earned the trust that earning of trust is still at a personal capacity yes it means you've been doing something consistently it means you're an expert or knowledgeable on something and you know expert doesn't mean that you've been trained or skilled in something it could be that you've used a product for years and therefore you're speaking about your experience and that experience is actually trusted because you're speaking honestly that kind of trust is what matters when it comes to working with influencers now the challenge has been this brands use advertising the audience has learned to cut through that they're very discerning mm-hmm. they can tell what is an outright ad even when you try all the subtle ways of hiding is it product placement in tv is it a mention here and there people can tell this is a paid piece yes so the trust with brands has been reduced may not be completely lost but is very reduced because of the the power of what has been advertising now with a discerning customer and a trusted influencer this influencer is like my friend yes. it's someone you grew up with yeah it could be your family so it's someone you really connect with on that level there's no reason not to trust them so brands will work with them i guess for as long as they need them until you have something new but it still comes down to who is giving you that word that you trust and who is still managing to sway opinions we have paid influencers we have influencers who are not paid who just agreed on some level to collaborate there's often an exchange yes. of something there's at a very high yes. level but trade currently for instance we are exchanging flights mm-hmm. give me the tickets i'll mm-hmm. do this kind of mm-hmm. work for mm-hmm. you and stuff like that mm-hmm. that's very interesting and well people say exposure does not pay sometimes as as a person you have to think of the platform you have and whether that makes sense to you and what you will earn from it what you really have to think of what the benefit is to you some people will accept non cash payments or exchange of things so it doesn't always have to be a money kind of yeah. transaction yes but back to your question will brands continue working with them and will it be sustainable we can't predict the future but for certain influence always has existed i have a feeling mm-hmm. that there's not much that has changed in terms of first of all there was advertising mm-hmm. very high level and then you have to work with the new crop which is the influencer the modern influencer and then now maybe another thing will come and you'll still have to do it and i feel probably it's just about now spreading i don't know whether spreading thin exactly. is is a good thing or a bad thing it's it's not necessarily spreading thin it's figuring out what where should you prioritize yeah the audience is no longer agnostic mm-hmm. they don't just stick to one channel they have a wide array of channels but they still have preferred channels. Yes. Finding them where they prefer is what is important. And yes, you have to fragment your media and your advertising spend, but be there when the customer needs you to be there. And the beauty about digital channels is you have tools to monitor, they're very easy to monitor. So that's the the upside of being on digital channels. You can see who's there, what kind of person is there, 
and all the other attributes to the customer that you have. But more importantly, you can also see the return on your investment. So you know very quickly, in a day or two, you know how quickly you need to tweak your models. I don't have likes. I'm trying so hard. I'm always posting mm-hmm. these things. I'm creating content, tweaking, I am rejigging. And of course, you mentioned there's a scramble for space. But then what is it I'm supposed to do? Because I still don't have the likes. That's the fact. What are you measuring when it comes to likes? That is what you need to be very clear about. We have what we call vanity metrics, likes, retweets. So people like your comment. Have they actually heard what you're saying? Have you converted or shifted something in them? What is it that you're actually looking to do? Because I could watch a piece of content and I don't actually react to it, Mm -hmm. but you actually have seen that I've watched the full video. If I've given you five minutes of my time, it means your content must be compelling. For me to sit and watch the entire video, why have I sat and watched it? I may not say anything. I may not like it. I'll give you the example of Netflix. The beauty about Netflix is how it's structured, that we don't need to see. But then go to YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and there's now the element of perception. Mm -hmm. You see, Netflix, we can't think about it in terms Mm -hmm. of perception. Mm -hmm. But then if my post is not being liked, even perception-wise, I'll give you an example of one of the organizations I was supporting. At some point, we managed crisis to a point that when people came to the comments because they were used to insulting this organization. They would see 200, 300 comments that are positive. They would comment and say, are you guys hiding comments? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because they are used to negativity Mm -hmm. and they want to say something negative, Mm -hmm. but they'll be alone. Mm -hmm. Perception. Perception, yeah. Now, I am on this platform and I see no like, one like. Based on perceptions, Mm -hmm. this is a post that has been there for two hours and there are only three likes. Let's take the example of Netflix. Everybody's watching and no one is actually interacting directly with that content in that sense. But everybody's talking about what they're watching on Netflix. Mm -hmm. You see, they're not using Netflix, the platform, but they're using every other channel to talk about it. Yes. So I'm sure Netflix is measuring the amount of volume of conversation, the sentiment of the conversation. Yes. And they're watching what people are saying. So they have other options to know what people are saying. It's not on their platform but they have the other options. So you can look at it from that perspective. Now, if I'm coming to see that no one is interacting with with my content right there, so first you understand that some channels will reduce organic engagement and push you into paid advertising. So then do you need to actually put some advertising behind it to get to who you want? I would say... If you're only getting one like, for example, there's an influencer I once looked at their content. They have about three likes on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Yes, they had 100,000 fans there. But on the other hand, on a different platform on Twitter, they were getting all the engagement there. And I wondered what was the distinction there? Is it the platform they're on or is it the style of content that is not suitable for the platform? Yes. So you really have to analyze. And the good thing is that you have the data. In that case, I thought they had taken time to build their fan base on Twitter and they were very legitimate there. But on Facebook, they never used to engage as such. But also they were using a Facebook page which doesn't kind of give you the interaction you want like you do on Twitter. And I guess at that point, Kenyans were not that much into Facebook comments. Mm -hmm. If you compare to where we are now, 
people go to Facebook for the comments. Yes. Sometimes, yes, on other platforms like Twitter, but Facebook has become the channel, especially with links and news articles, where people will open posts, but first jump into the comments to see who's made the funniest comment, who's made the most commented response, and whether the brand has actually responded. So there's a bit of tactic there coming in. Including the brand itself. Exactly. Yes. Uh, including the brand. And you will see a lot of it now with the brands waiting to see the responses coming in. They pick who they'll respond to and then fire off a sharp response to them. Because what is the audience expecting? It's going to screenshot They're that. They're expecting, yes, some funny, funny stuff yes. that they can screenshot and spread out. Yes. So there's cloud chasing from both the, the audience and from the brands. I guess the thing here is understand the platform that you're on. If you're seeing there's no engagement, you need to study your analytics, look at your data and learn what it is it's telling you. The good thing is you always have that data. Look at the data, study whether people are actually interacting with the content and not engaging right there, or they're actually just ignoring it. So no one is clicking on the posts, no one is opening the links, no one is watching the videos. There, there's no engagement It's 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 all. probably, the problem yeah. is probably your content. Yes. And maybe you need to rethink how rethink you... how it's suitable for that platform. Yes. Or whether you should be on that platform. <laughs> you don't have to be everywhere. You can simply pick where you're best at and stay there. Is it possible then that your influencer friend mm -hmm. had bots? Maybe. I thought about it. And at that point, yes, a lot of top influencers were known to buy. There was actually a purge yeah. at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the, the Twitter purge was very dramatic for a lot of people. Yes. But yes, you should also analyze whether these people have paid for those likes or not. How do we deal with online crisis management? How do you deal with a crisis in the first place? One, you need to understand what the crisis is and who it's affecting. Because it could be something affecting people or something being propagated. So it could be caused or it could be affecting. Once you understand where your crisis is coming from and how it's affecting the people who are in contact with it, then you can formulate a plan. The beauty of digital is you can track it as early as when it starts. So you can see who's talking the most. Are they the affected or are they pushing the message? Then you know how to engage them. So those two are very distinct. If it's the propagator, why are they doing it? Is it because they're experiencing it or they're pushing an agenda? Or they're just, I mean, the... Or they're just bored and talking. They're just part of a conversation. Exactly. Yes. But they could be actually, like you're saying, bored and part of a conversation, but they have clout and they have a solid audience. So when they speak, it's magnified. So those are, again, the influencers in a conversation. You need to be able to engage with those people to start turning around the message for you if there are people you can actually engage with. Because sometimes there's people that you cannot actually engage with at that point because they are destroying the brand and they're deliberately doing so. So you have to be very aware of the malicious attacks. The thing is, there's never a standard plan, but you need to know the basics of understanding. The, the ones we used to be taught in exactly, class. Yes, Exactly. They remain the same. What has shifted is the channels and therefore the means of carrying the message and the influencers who are carrying the conversation, either positive or negative. And the beauty of the digital and online channels is you can measure. So once you have those three things in place, the basics, what is your messaging at this point? What do you say to your audience at this point? How do you react to the situation? Do you need to put some mitigation in place? If it's a product, how far has that product spread? Do you need to recall it? If it's a service, is the service down? So do you need to tell people that, the, yes, the service is down? 
and it will be fixed. Do you know the time frames and things like that? So then you actually go into fixing the problem. There's always a team sitting and fixing the problem. Yes. As someone else... Is Hopefully there is a team yes. working yes. on it. Otherwise, there are those... Otherwise, handled... you'll forever be in crisis. Eh? Exactly. Yeah. I usually separate crises into two. Mm-hmm. I have reactive. So what we've tackled today is reactive. Mm-hmm. Then the proactive crisis management. Do you want to talk about that? Is it proactive crisis management or is it... Just brand reputation management. It's brand reputation, yes. So I I call it proactive in the sense that this is going to be an issue. It's not even an issue yet. You can foresee something. Yes. You can foresee something's coming. But at that point, either it's from inside the brand and you can see a problem coming, or you've seen seen it sparking somewhere and and you're lucky to have seen it early to be aware that it's going to be a problem. At that point... I guess the best thing to do is to act on it before it becomes a wildfire. Like yes. you say, the, it, there's always two levels. It's an issue, and an issue grows into a crisis. Yes. It grows into a crisis when it's not, you've not been able to mitigate it. So the good things you can do are the, are the daily things you do for your brand to build your reputation. Mm-hmm. You've built your trust to the customers. You've built the quality of your product and, or service. You've been doing this every day. Yes. So this is the things that you will come back to rely on. So when you tell people, our service is down, we'll be back in 10 minutes, they trust you. So that one day when something bad happens, yeah. people tell, well, we understand you, we, yeah. it's yeah. okay, it's, it's not, okay, it's, no it's, problem. Yeah, let's, let's wait and see. Yeah. So they, they'll be more patient with you. But you have to have built that trust over time. You can't just expect the audience to be nice to you. Is this so much to do? Because we know brands that get into crisis every day. What could be the problem? It could be one, just the volume of who they serve. If a large telco serving 99% of the country... You'll always step on Someone will always be on your back. Yes. And unfortunately, because of the frequency of use, there's bound to be some hitches here and there. If you're the most popular product in the nation, at some point something might go wrong, not necessarily because of you, but maybe because it's been handled by one, two, three other people before it gets to the consumer. So that distribution chain must be perfect. I mean, we, we can only do so much as brands also, but you have to keep at it every day. One of the things I think people have disregarded from a digital point of view is how to use WhatsApp for their penetration. You know with WhatsApp, huh? the challenge is that we don't have the back-end analytics or access to measure it. But you know that WhatsApp works because you are probably in several groups and communities and you understand the power of those communities. So the challenge is this. You never know which other ones exist that you think you should be on. But if you're not in it, hey, you're not in it. And you, you do know for a fact that content on WhatsApp, it's very viral. Mm-hmm. You know, there's businesses now that have built their models on WhatsApp messaging. So we are ignoring, especially that SME sector. A lot of people have ignored it, but it's really running on its own, you know, its own steam. It's very strange because we always want to engage with the big brands, you know, these guys with the millions and billions in in budgets. But we forget there's an ecosystem that carries the backbone of our country. It is SMEs who carry our backbone. We need to think of how to engage with them. If our services are suitable for them, if our messaging is suitable for them, why aren't we talking to them where they are? That reminds me, I remember having this, I don't even think it was an SME. (laughs) But then what we did is we understood that, first of all, they don't even have pages. They're just starting. They have a very awesome product. And so we said, 
probably we want to penetrate the 47 counties and so we identified the blo- local mm-hmm. machinani bloggers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and these people surprisingly the 20 30 whatsapp groups so what we did is we identified them and we would develop one message every day and give to each one of them and then because the measuring element is a problem we directed all the messaging to the website mm-hmm. because the product mm-hmm. was the website thank you very much naomi we enjoyed having you and uh, looking forward to have you as a guest another time thank you very much for having me mm-hmm.